you right out of the box this may offend you this uh this analysis this conversation we're going to have here on devious motives may offend you uh who am i kidding i don't think it's really going to offend you but uh i wanted to make a point and i wanted to start with a question in this episode of devious motives and, and you're going to think i'm i'm joking i'm not i'm dead dead serious what is it that biden always says deadly earnest by the way i'm brett Witterbull. welcome to devious motives is there a LGBTQ way to pay your taxes. Is there a is there an African American way or a Hispanic or Asian American way to pay your taxes? Is there a male way to pay your taxes, a female way to pay your taxes, a transgender way to pay your taxes? No, the answer to all those questions is no. In the same way that there's not a an African American or a gay way to buy a car or buy a house, get a mortgage. Uh, I mean, I understand that there are, there are programs that exist inside the federal government that are trying to encourage a diversity of, of neighborhoods and, and things like that. But I have never, and, and I'm going all the way back as far as I can think, I have never seen a two-tracked campaign run between the two parties that are so unbelievably different if i ask 10 random people at any walmart in america that means it could be a rural walmart it could be a a suburban walmart it could be an urban walmart and i asked people what they cared about in this current election cycle i i think they'd probably say inflation i think they'd probably say crime i think a percentage would say immigration you'd get a couple of people say abortion. But I don't think diversity, like as a standalone issue, is on the ballot. I I think the issues that are facing people in this country are, how do I feed my kid? How do I keep my family safe? How do I afford expensive gasoline? And how do I protect myself if Vladimir Putin decides he's going to send a nuke into the United States of America? And yet, on the other side of the aisle, whatever other side of the aisle there is, um, you've got people who are obsessed, and I mean literally obsessed, with identity politics. I want the most diverse electorate to come out and vote in in the elections. I I really do. I have one, one limitation that I want to see take effect. As a result of that voting, I want people to be legally eligible to vote. That's it. You want to use voter ID. You want to use uh, other forms of, of legitimated uh, identification that's issued by the government that's got a photograph on it. hundred uh, percent. I'm great with that. But like, I don't I don't care who comes out to vote based on the melanin in their skin, uh, their testosterone or absence of testosterone. I don't care about any of that. I really don't. I just want people that are going to come out having been thoughtful about the issues and want to see that the country is is going to go in a better direction. I, I really do. I really want to see that to be the case. I don't like hanging around with monochromatic people, people who look and think exactly like I think, because I don't think we're going to get a good bit of analysis on the important issues of the day. I want to be around older people, younger people, uh, males, females, uh, gay people. I mean, well, 
any any group of people that I can be around, I want to kind of take input from. And sometimes the input that I'm going to take from these people is going to be input that's going to tell me, yeah, I don't want to do what those folks are doing. I don't think that's a good policy. Uh, but I want to be exposed to all of it. All of it. I don't think it's very effective as a sentient human being in the year 2022, uh, in as complicated a world in which we live. I don't think it's, it's wise at all to silo ourselves. It's, it's a shame that you have racially exclusive housing at Berkeley, uh, racially exclusive housing at Berkeley to the point of which that people who are Caucasians uh, who walk in there have to announce their presence as a white person. Like, that is, that is not the big blue marble I grew up with. That is not the melting pot I grew up with. And that's none of that stuff. So what I'm going to do over the course of, of, this, of this segment of Devious Motives is I'm going to show you examples of the insanity of the, um, of the identity politics that has so taken root. We literally can look at any, any uh, metric any dynamic, um, and you're going to see identity politics. In fact, I'm even going to flash you back to the old days of Joe Biden and his identity politics, which are not his identity politics now, which in and of itself ought to prove that the stuff that comes up in elections is not is is not set in stone or concrete. It's not set as a stationary point that you have to continually run back and touch to prove that you're you're still in the game. I, I don't believe that to be the case at all. And so we're going to start with something that I think is hugely important, and that is the race in Texas, where you have Greg Abbott, a man in a wheelchair. It's not relevant to the fact that he's the governor of the state of Texas, but since everybody's talking about John Fetterman being the victim of a stroke, uh, we could say that Greg Abbott is the victim of being in a wheelchair. But see, I don't Look at him that way. And, and I don't look at Fetterman like the victim of a stroke. These are realities of people's existence. What do they have in mind for the policies? So what's so interesting about the race in Texas for the governorship is you have a 48-48 tie among Hispanics between two white men that are running for governor. Oh, yeah, Greg Abbott's a white man. I mean, I know you know that, right? You've seen him. He's snow white, practically. Uh, and then the other guy who's running is Beto. O'Rourke, Beto O'Rourke, little Robert, Robert Francis O'Rourke. I, I went to elementary school, very familiar with his father, who was a county commissioner there in El Paso, Texas. I, I grew up in El Paso, Texas, a, a community, by the way, that's like it's like 88 percent Hispanic. And I'm and I'm much better of a, as, as a person for having experienced that and growing up in a border culture. I love living by. Uh, the border. And I know that sounds crazy to say, but I really do. It's, it's some of my favorite moments and memories are, are as a result of, of living where I grew up. But it's interesting because Hispanics are 48-48 in the state of Texas for the gubernatorial race between two white guys. And the pollsters want you to think that Beto O'Rourke is Hispanic. He's Irish. He's like totally Irish, married to a billionaire's daughter. In fact, he's so white that Beto O'Rourke uh, was was on board with trying to demolish, I mean, literally demolish a barrio in El Paso, Texas, which was right down by the border with Juarez. And he was trying to sell as a city councilman in El Paso, Texas, to the uh, Hispanic community, the Mexican-American community. OK, let's be specific. 
uh, who had lived there for 200, 300 years. El Paso is a really old place. It's like almost 500 years old. Um, he was trying to sell them on giving up their property and surrendering to his father-in-law's company. Boy, that's being down for the struggle, huh? Well, here, here he is talking with uh, Laura Ingram just last night about the, uh, the issues he's facing and, and about the Latinos. And why would the Latinos be on board with Greg at all? Because the people who are Latinos in Tejas don't like illegal immigration any more than you like illegal immigration. And by extension, we'll get into this uh, in, in a few minutes any more than people that live in dangerous cities want to live in dangerous cities uh, because that's just how it is, Joe Biden. No, no, people want to be safe. They want to be safe. They want an orderly version of, of immigration. Here is uh, Governor Greg Abbott talking about this very thing. Go. Why is the Hispanics coming to the Republican Party? Two things. One is we constantly reach out to the Hispanic community. No governor has gone down to the Rio Grande Valley more than I have. We're constantly reaching out and connecting with the Hispanic community. And like your other guests tonight, the policies that I'm running on are the policies that the Hispanic community supports. They believe in hard work, entrepreneurs, and hence they want a state that creates jobs and a strong economy. As we gather here tonight, Texas has the fastest growing economy of any state in the United States. Also, also Texas... Since, since these folks reelected me, Texas has added far more new jobs than any other state in America. Texas is the place for economic opportunity. But at- so you see that, that that's that's a pretty good that's a pretty good clip from Greg Abbott. That's a pretty dynamite clip, as far as I can tell, and as far as I'm concerned, that is a terrific and important clip from from Greg Abbott, kind of breaking it down for you. So, what do we have next? What, what do we what do we have next, ladies and gentlemen? Well, we have Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. And Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. It, uh, was was once upon a time a man who was desperately afraid of the racial jungle it was a term that he used um, back when he was in Delaware and was a senator from Delaware. And uh, here's a little clip to flash you back to the old days where he, he was talking about criminals and uh, all those criminals in those certain locations that we got to get tough with and we got to deal with and we got to, you, you'll see, it's pretty ugly stuff from the 1980s. Go. Take back the streets. It doesn't matter whether or not the person that is accosting your son or daughter or my son or daughter, my wife, your husband, my mother, your parents, it doesn't matter whether or not they were deprived as a youth. It doesn't matter or not whether or not they had no background that enabled them to have to uh, become uh, uh, social, uh, become socialized into the fabric of society. It doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they're about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife, take on my sons. So I don't want to ask. What made them do this? They must be taken off the street. That's number one. There's a consensus on that. Unless we do something about that cadre of young people, tens of thousands of them, born out of wedlock, without parents, without supervision, without any structure, without any conscience developing, because they literally, I yield myself three more minutes, 
because they literally have not been socialized. They literally have not had an opportunity. We should focus on them now. If we don't, they will, or a portion of them will, become the predators 15 years from now. And Madam President, we have predators on our streets that society has, in fact, in part because of its neglect, created. Again, it does not mean because we created them that we somehow forgive them or do not take them out of society to protect my family and yours and from yet, them. Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., President of the United States of America, has had a big turn of heart, which I don't believe is insincere. I believe maybe he's seen the error of his ways and maybe he's trying to make amends. Or maybe he sees an opportunity to harness people through the use of, of course, you know, and I know, identity politics. So here's Joe Biden yesterday uh, talking about how he has ordered airline fees, airline fees to be reduced when it comes to getting six more inches of space if you want to book a bigger seat on the airplane. And he says this is important because of um, people of color who suffer most as a result. Some airlines, if you want six more inches between you and the seat in front, you pay more money. But you don't know it until you purchase your ticket. Look, folks, these are junk fees. They're unfair and they hit marginalized Americans the hardest, especially low income folks and people of color. They benefit big corporations, not consumers. So you kind of get you kind of get where we are, right? You kind of you kind of get where you are, where we are. Well, let me take you to another race. And, and I'm only showing you all of these because I want to make the broader point of identity politics, of, of identity politics. There is a congressperson in upstate New York, and that congressperson is Sean Patrick Maloney. I, I mean, po positively, po positively, you see him and you're going to see him in the clip. He's positively translucent. That's how white this guy is. And he's running for his seat. Uh, there in, in upstate New York, New York state legislature is controlled by the Democrats and they gerrymandered a couple of districts. And so you now have Sean Patrick Maloney, who's the head of the D triple C. So he's the guy responsible for keeping people uh, who are Democrats in the Congress right now elected. You know, you, you, you get a couple of different people. Uh, between the parties every time there's an election cycle and their job as part of the election cycle is to come out and to say, okay, I'm going to be in charge of all the Republicans getting elected. This guy's going to be in charge of all the Democrats getting reelected and, and, and getting new recruits to come in and, and take those positions. Sean Patrick Maloney is a disaster. He's a disaster. Uh, even inside the Democratic Party as, as far back. And again, I, I'm a partisan guy. But I'm really giving you honest information. This stuff is Googleable. I just made up a word Googleable. Uh, you can look at Google this stuff and, and see Sean Patrick Maloney, uh, like 18 months ago, the Democrats who were working with him when he took over the DCCC were saying, dude, you're wasting all this money on nonsense. He kept going on junkets over to Paris with other Congress people to just kind of do stuff. And as recently, and I'm not making this up, I have no reason to lie to you. No reason. He went with Adam Shifty Schiff, and I think Swalwell. I, I, I don't want to 
for sure say Swalwell because I can't remember exactly, but definitely Shifty Schiff was there. Adam Schiff was there. And they were running around all over around Paris in big, expensive, swanky hotels having cocktail parties with donors, out-of-the-country donors, American donors, I guess, that live over in Europe that wanted to contribute to these to these causes. And then he came all the way back home, and he realized he had a disaster on his hand. He's facing a guy named Lawler, who's just like an average, regular dude, white guy. So you got two white guys squaring off, except for one thing. Sean Patrick Maloney is diverse, because Sean Patrick Maloney is, is, uh, is a gay man. He talks about this in this clip with CBS News. He's a gay man. He's married to a person of color. They got kids. They got a life. They got lifestyle. They got all the stuff that they that they have. It was part of their, you know, the, the American dream, the whole deal. I think there's been some confusion about this. Um, you know, I didn't go anywhere. Uh, a Republican judge redrew the districts in New York, and my home was placed in the district I'm running in. I'm the only member of Congress who lives in the district as created, and I'm going to run where I live. Now, for folks who think it's easy for a gay guy with an interracial family to win a Trump district, and then on top of that, run in one where he doesn't live, I don't think you know anything about upstate New York. It's important to me to live among the people I represent. Um, but you can't say I haven't had to earn it. My goodness, we had a primary. I won it two to one. And now we've got a tough general election, just like I always have. And I'm going out and making my case. Nobody's so running you out of the job in upstate New York because of your sexual identity or your family. They're, they're running you out of the job because you have co-signed on a lot of Biden policies that are terrible, terrible policies. So they don't want you to be their person anymore. Nothing to do with your sexual orientation or anything. Uh, yet, yet, this is what you have. So I've given you Latina. I have given you uh, uh, Sean Patrick Maloney. I have given you Biden being a racist and then Biden not being a racist by talking about a specific group of people. I, I have now got the pleasure to give you the view, the view where uh, the crew is together going after Herschel Walker, who's now facing uh, allegations that that he had he was participating in an abortion in 1992. He's now going at they're going after him saying he's a dummy. Uh, they're going after uh, Dr. Oz, who they say is a is a slickster and a con man and and was vicious to John Fetterman because John Fetterman's a stroke victim. I just wanted to add on the Fetterman conversation. Yeah, yeah. That what makes the Republicans think that Herschel Walker is coherent and he hasn't had a stroke? That's a valid point. I'm going to read to you what Herschel Walker said on, on climate change. Mm -hmm. He said, we don't control the air. Our good air decided to float over to China's bad air. Okay, that, that's, that's a very valid okay. point. Okay. It's about the good air and the bad air. But, you know, this guy, uh, DeSantis, has the charisma of this cup, okay? Yeah. I think when, 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 when Chris says, are you going to run in 2024, yeah. he looks like he has a, he's having a stroke. He can't even answer that simple question. Yeah. The Republican Party is running a bunch of ads about showing Fetterman you know, uh, stumbling on things because of the stroke. Mm -hmm. What kind of a doctor is behind that? Aren't you supposed to do no harm? It's so unempathetic to the guy. It was really strange to me that he chose to bully. I've talked to people who had strokes and I've talked to people who have cared for people who have strokes. And the whole victim terminology, I think, is really outdated 
in some ways it could be regarded as ableist, I think, although I'm not, you know, I wouldn't know. Uh, we all have our own crosses to bear that are not necessarily visible to the rest of the world. But let me just say this. This is important to understand. If I say you're a cancer victim, if I say you're a stroke victim, if I say you're a, you know, car crash victim, it's really kind of up to you to identify that way. I don't know. Has has Fetterman run around saying I'm a stroke victim? It feels to me like Fetterman's sales pitch has been, my doctor says I'm I'm solid to serve. That wasn't like some kind of an international signal. It was an itch. Um, why are we victims? Why are you a victim? I mean, you're a stroke survivor. You could be a cancer survivor. You could be a motor vehicle accident survivor. You could be a gunshot survivor. Why Why? Why do we have, want to hang the banner of victimhood on, on these people who would be one of 100 people in the United States Senate, one of the 100 most powerful people in the entire country? Hard to say. So let me let me close this out. This is a quick tour I wanted to give you, but let me close this out with with this notion. And I think this is very interesting stuff. Mark Zuckerberg runs Meta. And you'll remember that in 2020, Mark Zuckerberg pumped hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars into the campaign uh, to get Joe Biden elected. They were calling it election integrity stuff, but it was essentially, it was a, it was a, like a three, $400 million kiss of the Democratic Party uh, to try to ensure that the outcome would be set that we got. Well, now Meta is careening horribly. The metaverse, all that stuff, all that garbage uh, that they want to focus on, which is their right. They've got money they're They've got investors. They've got all that sort of stuff. Meta is cratering. Meta is cratering and Meta has worked as sort of the KGB of of the enforcement arm of progressivism in America. I mean, really, look at all the people that have been thrown off platforms. Look at all the people that have been banned for life and all that sort of stuff. And, and people are not going and participating at Meta. Why do you think that is? Here's a package. Here's a little package. Here's a little report from, I think, uh, Reuters, or one of my friends used to call them Reuters, which I don't understand. But anyways, uh, here's, here's a little report about how bad it's gotten in Meta. Check it out. Investors wiped more than $67 billion off the market value of Facebook's parent company, Meta, on Wednesday. Shares in the world's largest social media firm were down 20% in after-hours trading. The sell-off came after Meta posted another quarter of declining revenues. It also warned that its overall expenses could rise by as much as 16% next year. Meta faces a whole host of challenges, including slowing global economic growth, competition from TikTok, and privacy changes from Apple that make it harder to target ads. From now on, we're going to be metaverse first, not Facebook first. A lot of investor concern, however, has been directed at CEO Mark Zuckerberg's pricey and experimental bets on the metaverse. Much of the company's increased expenditure is being driven by operating costs at Reality Labs. That's the unit responsible for bringing the metaverse to life. Zuckerberg sought to calm shareholders on a post-earnings conference call, telling them he expects the investments to take about a decade to bear fruit. In the meantime, he has had to freeze hiring, shutter projects and reorganise teams to trim costs. Meta's disappointing earnings come amid a broader sell-off of big tech stocks.
Oh man, cry me! I mean, just cry me a river with the Zuckerberg crew here. I, that's just that's a heartbreaking and very very sad reality. So why did I take you on this tour? Oh, because you've got toxic masculinity and you're a you're a Caucasoid. You're a Caucasian. No, that's not why. It's it's not it's not why. Because in every one of these clips with every one of these people who are talking about every one of these things, they're talking about victimology. They're not talking to you about a pathway forward. Not one of them. Uh, Greg Abbott sort of is because he's saying that Latino voters care about substance and results. But when you start getting into the meat and the potatoes of the rest of this, mm, mm -mm. you're being told that you're a victim. The people that are affiliated with you are victims uh, and, and that any critique of any sort on policy, personality or any of that sort of stuff just proves that these are your oppressors. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to stop thinking that way. I have said this till and I will say it till I am blue in the face. You could do anything you want in this country. People are going to try to hold you back and they're going to tell you you're wrong and you're a failure and you're terrible and you're all those things. And again, I don't care if you're a liberal or a conservative, Democrat, Republican. You can do whatever you dream of doing. You may come up short. The dream may change, but you have a right to that dream. You don't have a right to an outcome. Nobody does. Uh, the tomorrow is not guaranteed. Read the Bible. Read the Quran. Read the Talmud. Read the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, I mean, go search for your enlightenment any place you want. And I think in almost every single faith practice, and even those without faith practices, because atheists surely know that tomorrow is not guaranteed. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Outcomes are not guaranteed. All you can control is how you behave, your optimism or your pessimism. And that is really about it. And so I would caution both sides because I want to be ecumenical or ecumenical. Depends on how people say it. Uh, I want to reach out to the widest possible audience. Let me say that again. The widest possible audience. I don't want anybody playing games with the audio, making it sound like I said the widest. The widest possible audience. And I want, I want you to believe that you have better days in front of you because all these politicians are scheming together and they're hanging out together and they're saying to each other, okay, how can we, how can we flim flam them today, boys? How do we get them separated from their vote and us? Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. The outcome's not guaranteed, but your love of America should keep you motivated. That's really all we can do. I'm Brett Witterbull. This is Devious Motives. Hey, it's Brett Witterbull, and I've got a great opportunity for you. If you're a fan of the show, if you listen or watch my videos, I want to invite you personally to join me and my beautiful wife, Sherry, as we take an excursion over to Italy. It's going to happen in June of 2023, so that's this coming June, and we're going to get together with amazing people. We're going to see incredible sights. We're going to land in Rome. We're going to take a, a land tour all among the sites of the things that you're going to want to see, including but not limited to uh, Assisi and Venice and Milan. We're going to eat. We're going to laugh. We're going to love. We're going to the Vatican. It's going to be absolutely incredible, but it won't be complete without you. I want to invite you and your loved ones to join us 
as well. You can get more information at cruise-tour.com. That's cruise-tour.com. Or give them a call at 800-383-3131. That's 800-383-3131. Arrivederci. I'll see you in Italy.